Hello and welcome to episode 3 of The Spare Minute. This episode takes place, it's recorded, in the comfort of my home. So, not the somewhat frenetic energy of a truck, I guess. Uh, I feel like maybe when I'm driving, it's easier to be a little less focused on what I'm trying to say because I have to focus on the road and I'm driving. So it, it's less of an opportunity to kind of actually, I don't know, pace around my house and, and talk about something meaningful. Although I, I, I think episode two is great. I think, I think I did talk about some meaningful things. I think I just tried to be a bit too much of a comedian. Not Humor is not bad, but I don't want you to think that I'm just trying to pander uh, to you and try to be some sort of funny guy. Or whatever. But that's beside the point. That's my own insecurity about the uh, production of this podcast. I want to be very intentional about this podcast. I cannot guarantee that this is going to always be intentional. Um, I'd like to at least put some forethought into each episode and what I'm going to discuss and what I'm going to talk about. But for the most part, these episodes are going to be, for now at least going to be fairly unedited, um, just simply because, I mean, this uh, this podcast is called The Spare Minute, right? So I don't have a lot of time to devote to editing this podcast. So it's going to be kind of stream of consciousness. It's going to be uh, going to be one or two topics or whatever, and I've already talked about this stuff, so perhaps I don't need to repeat it, but here I am. Uh, one thing I was thinking about lately, and we'll just kind of launch into it, one thought uh, that came to my mind is influence. The word influence kind of came into my head. I was kind of thinking about that. Um, it seems to me that humans have somewhat of an innate desire to be influential. And so if we think about influential, and I don't have an official uh, definition uh, at hand. I mean, I guess I could look one up right now. Um, in I'll, I'll look up what influential means. So according to um, Merriam-Webster, the internet, the uh, um, internet dictionary, exerting or possessing influence. Okay. So what does influence mean? Uh, influence means the power or capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways. Uh, the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion or for, a force or direct exercise of command. Oh, that's interesting. Corrupt interference with authority for personal gain. Um, one that exerts influence for, immense, for emanation of spiritual or moral force. An ethereal fluid held to flow from the stars and to affect the actions of humans. Now, that's a weird one. I've never heard that one before. An emanation of occult power held to derive from stars. I think definition number five there is like a totally weird definition. I've listed these definitions off um, in just every definition down the line. And if you go to the Merriam-Webster website for the definition of influence, you'll see them numbered and, you know, sub subcategorized order. So I'm sorry, I forgot to list the, the numbers and the letters or whatever. But those are all sort of the definitions that are listed right down there for like what 
the word influence means, okay? And so it's essentially, and, and one, the one I thought that was interesting um, just listed there was um, definition 2A, which says the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. That's kind of like um, leading by example, right? You're hoping that someone looks at your life and that your like presence is an influence. Um, so I thought about influence perhaps mainly because I'm reading a book right now called Essentialism um, by the author Greg McCown. I think his last name is pronounced McCown. And when I'm reading this book and when I've watched interviews with him, all I could help but think in the back of my mind was, this guy seems a little bit pretentious. Like, he seems like he's toting around this idea about essentialism, which is not necessarily bad. The discipline pursuit of less, that's a great idea. I like it. But he seems pretentious, like he thinks he knows something and he wants to share it with others and he wants to be like influential to others. And um, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but it's, it just seems a bit, uh, like I've said, pretentious. Um, and so it, it really kind of had me wonder why... What is the point of being influential? Uh, what is what is what I mean? And and when I realized this, there there are many. Um, I mean, there are many reasons uh, why we would essential. Well, why would we, why would we want to be influential? I was going to look for a quote, but it's taking too long, and it was a bit distracting. So we'll get back to the point here. There are a lot of reasons why a person would want to be influential. Right? They, they want power. They want to control people. Uh, they want people to think the way that they think. Um, and it made me wonder, is, is the desire to influence other people, is it an ego trip? Like, are you, are you feeding your ego? Like, are you, when you want to influence people to, to live a certain way, are you doing that because you want to validate the way that you live your life? Because you can show someone, hey, like, look at this or, or listen to this. Pay attention to this. When you, when you influence someone and you change the way someone, like, lives their life, is it because you want to secretly feed your own ego? And, well, I mean, not even, it doesn't even have to be secret. You want to shape the world like you... What is that? Do you want to shape the world to be, quote-unquote, a better place? That's not necessarily ignoble. I mean, that's, that's fine. But Or do you, are you trying to validate something in your life? Um, as something I think of is, and I'm going to lay it out there straight, I'm a Christian, okay? That means I believe in the Bible, okay? That means I believe in Jesus Christ, okay? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and he was resurrected, that's a fairly controversial subject to talk about these days because it's religion. And most of the time when you bring up the subject of religion, people automatically feel like religion is the cause of all human conflict in the world and that I'm going to try to shove it down their throat and try to make them believe something that makes them feel really uncomfortable. You say Jesus, you talk about Jesus, that makes people feel uncomfortable. It's inevitable, okay? Um, 
but the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to share that with people. Okay, so I've got to go out there. I've got to tell people that. Um, one of the books of the Bible in the Old Testament, it's called Ezekiel. There are a lot of these books in the Old Testament that are written by people who are called prophets. Okay, uh, Prophets are basically people that speak uh, to communities about God. And essentially, they're like mouthpieces for God. They, they talk to people. Uh, and they essentially are telling them what God thinks of them and what what's going to happen if they live a certain way or, or whatever, like consequences. They're kind of like the people that talk about the future. They talk about the consequences of your actions and your sin, and they speak against the way that societies are living and things like that. But oftentimes they do this to no avail. Like they, they talk about these things and they talk about the way people should change. And oftentimes people just do not change. They, they are set in their ways. Time and time again, you see it reflected in the Bible. When the prophets talk about something time and time again, they don't change. So the book of Ezekiel talks about one of the things is God talks to Ezekiel and he says to him, listen, you've got to tell these people about me. You got to tell them to believe in me. Um, because if you don't, no one else is, and then their blood's on your hands. Because I told you, you got to tell them about me. Um, but if you do tell them about me and they reject me, then the blood's on their hands. There, it's their responsibility. So essentially, Ezekiel's told, you got to share about me. You've got to talk about me. You've got to prophesy about me. Um, and when he, when he rests the burden of that, the weight of that on his shoulders, the responsibility becomes his to like at least present the path to them, uh, the path to God, I should say. He's presenting the path to them that leads to God. Once he does that, once he sort of is like, here's the thing, then it's their choice to pick it up or sit it, set it down, to take, take it or leave it. Wow. I said pick it up or set it down. Like the expressions take it or leave it. That's funny. Um, that's my own weird musing. Anyway. And the same goes for Job. Uh, there's not Job, sorry, Jonah. The book of Jonah, God tells Jonah, you got to go talk to the Ninevites. And you got to tell them about me or else I'm going to destroy them. So the Ninevites, like salvation, is essentially falls into the hands of Jonah. So if God, if he doesn't do that, then, it's, then their blood's on his head because God said, you got to tell them about me. So that's God and, and even like Moses going to Pharaoh um, saving his people. The responsibility was given to Moses to do this. So even God tells people, he asks people to be sources of influence. But, but their sources of influence, their own sense of influence is not self-motivated. Like it's not, it's not in a vacuum. It's not, well, I'm going to go tell those people about God because I want to. I mean, Jonah didn't even want to. Like, Jonah didn't want to. You hear about Jonah, maybe you just think, oh, in the belly of a whale. Oh, yeah, that fun little fairy tale. That's not really, I mean, that's like one small thing. The focus of that was this, the idea that God gets his will done whether you want it or not. And Jonah didn't want to talk to the Ninevites. He wanted to do his own thing. He said, Screw those people, whatever. They deserve to be destroyed. Come on. But God was like, no, no, no. I want to save them too. You got to go talk to them. I want you to talk to them. So the source of influence wasn't Jonah's will. The source of influence was God saying, hey, 
you're my appointed instrument. I'm going to use you to talk to these people so that they can come back to me. So from a biblical perspective, influence is really just from God, really. God is influencing people to do what he wants them to do. But in a worldly perspective, it's very different. In a secular, worldly perspective, often I catch myself asking, why do what you do? What is the purpose for what you do? Like, that's the deeper, that's the deepest question. Like, why are you living your life? What is the meaning of your life? Okay. If you want to influence people, why do you want to influence people? Is it to make yourself more powerful? Is that why you want to influence people? And is it masked in a seemingly noble ideal? Because if you want to, if you want power and influence, I mean, often those two things are somewhat symbiotic, symbiotic, whatever, however you want to pronounce that. Oftentimes they feed each other. You gain power, you gain influence, okay? If you gain influence, you gain power. They feed each other, right? So do you want to gain power to gain influence? Do you want to gain influence to gain power? What is that? Is, is it a desire to shape the world around you into an image of your own design? Is that why you want influence? And even if you had influence, even if you had power, what's the point of that? One, one really good example I can think of is um, the cartoon uh, Samurai Jack. And I ask people if they've seen this. A lot of people, they've never really seen this. So the basic gist of Samurai Jack is there's evil and there's good. And the evil in this show is represented by this demon lord named Aku. And the good in this show is represented by the Samurai Jack. Now, he's given the name Jack by some random bystanders. That's just a name he's given. That's not even really, we don't even know what his birth name is. We don't know what his given name is. This is a story, the story is essentially about the almost the purest forms of evil fighting against good. Now, in, now Jack is sent to the future where the evil of, of Aku reigns. Without the presence of Jack in the past to prevent Aku from reigning, Aku already shapes the entire world, essentially, into the image he desires. Um, which leaves Jack forced to try to figure out how to get back to the past to undo all the damage that Aku has done. In the, in the process, Jack represents this beacon of light, this beacon of hope to all of the people that he encounters. A pure form of goodness. And he slowly shapes the world around him. He gains influence he gains attention. Um, but essentially, Aku reigns. Now, at some point, Jack loses his sword. And his sword is the only, it's, it's a, it was made by the gods. It's the only force that can seal away evil. It's the only thing that could defeat Aku. It is, perhaps, the great burden that rests upon Jack's shoulders. It is, it is his instrument bestowed upon him to wield responsibly to vanquish and seal away evil. And when Jack loses this, he loses hope because this is the hope. He loses hope 
He feels as though he's forsaken his family, his legacy, his path. He loses his direction completely because this was his purpose. This was his destiny. And now he's essentially forsaken it with when he took his focus off of Aku, when he made a mistake, when he lost a sense of his mission, when, when he lost this sword. So he's defeated, but he still lives in this world, and he still, to Aku's dismay, won't die. And that frustrates him. Um, and essentially, Jack is just trying to survive. He doesn't have the sword. He doesn't know how he's going to get the sword. He's just trying to survive, but he's hopeless. So with, without this samurai in his path, Aku grows weary. He grows tired. There's no challenge anymore. He has all the influence over the world. His evil visions have been um, realized and, and essentially completed in this world. And yet he's bored. Uh, we have this great scene where he's in his tower and he sits there and he just says the word real slowly. He just malaise. He says malaise. He's bored. He has nothing left to do. He's gained influence over the whole world. He's shaped it into everything he's ever wanted it to be. But he's bored. Because he doesn't have a samurai trying to fight him. He doesn't have someone trying to undo everything he's done. He doesn't have to fight for it anymore. So what's the purpose of Aku's influence? Was it that there was resistance? Was it that there was a force that opposed him? And that's what gave him the purpose to fight? Was it, was it that? What, what is the purpose? When we don't have that resistance, when we don't have, and I'm not saying Aku's right or anything, but when we don't have that sense of something we're opposing or trying to go against, then, then we can easily lose a sense of purpose as to why we're even trying. Like, why are we even, why are we even doing what we're doing? Why do we even want to be influential? What's our goal? What, I mean, it has to be something concrete to hold on to. And I'll give Greg McCone, 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 I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's spelled M-C-K-E-O-W-N. I'll give him credit because he talks about mission statements. Um, I don't think he is wrong, by the way. I think this book is great. I think it, it does speak a message that people need to hear. So I'm not discrediting discrediting this. I think this should be influential. <clears throat> he talks about mission statements of organizations when they're too vague, when they're too abstract, when they try to cover too much ground, they lose their focus um, and they lose their ability to motivate people. And what he essentially talks about is how a mission statement of a company should have a concrete, achievable, attainable focus. And so that when you have that concrete mission statement, it's like, yes, that's something I can get behind. That's something we're building towards. That's achievable. Um, my question for Greg at this point would be, well, what happens when your organization achieves that mission statement? What do you do then? Do you have to reevaluate? 
Do you have to redraft a mission statement with another achievable concrete goal? Do you build on that past one? Like, is that where you go from there? Like, that's that's the next question I have after that. Okay, it's like, great, you have an achievable mission statement, but what comes after that? Something I, I've, an illusion or, or a metaphor that I, I've kind of come up with recently is the idea of life being a series of false peaks. And when I say that, what I mean by that is, um, we're all climbing towards something. Like we all have a vision of something we want to get to. Hopefully, I mean that's our that's our drive. That's our even if it's short term. Even if it's like I want to go get that game at the GameStop and I want to play it or whatever. We all have some something we're looking forward to. And you can liken that to a mountain. You're climbing a peak, and you can you know where the peak is, and you're going in that direction. You go into the peak. You climb the peak, right? You're going there. You're trying to fulfill. You're trying to find a certain sense of fulfillment from climbing that mountain, getting to the peak. Um, and then you get to the peak and you're looking out at the land and yeah, it's amazing or whatever. And then you turn and you see, oh, there's another peak. It's right there. It's on the same trail. You're on a false peak. You're not on the peak. So there's another peak and you've got to climb that peak. It's another goal. It's another thing. You got to keep climbing it. You got to get to the top of that. You climb it, you exert energy, you get there. You're standing on that peak. You're looking around. You're higher. Oh, wow, that's amazing. The view's even greater. But look, there's another peak. And life is like that. I feel like life is a series of false peaks. We all have goals that we're trying to achieve. We all have goals we're trying to get to. But once we get to that goal, there's another one that we can be striving for and getting to. So how do you balance that out? Every peak builds on the last one. You wouldn't be able to climb that next peak if you hadn't climbed the one before. So the journey up the mountain, the journey climbing the peaks, there's a value in that. It, it strengthens you to be able to get to the point where you can climb another peak. It's like in a video game. Every level gets harder and harder. You get Your character gets stronger and stronger. Their abilities get better. So that like even lower level enemies, you hit, hit in one hit. But in the beginning, it took a lot of energy to do it. But what are you building towards? Like, what is, what's the ultimate peak? Behind all of these false peaks, what's the ultimate peak? What's the ultimate thing you're striving for? Maybe it's just enough to see the next peak. I mean, really, maybe you don't need to see what that ultimate peak is. But I think that's a lifelong question. I don't think I have an answer for that question. <laughs> I mean, I could give you my best guess. But that's an answer that could change uh, later on. So, in reality, this question about influence is really a question of purpose. Because you could be influential, but if you don't have a purpose for being influential, then why are you trying to be influential? Do you have noble causes or do you have ignoble causes? And if you have ignoble causes, what do those ignoble causes gain you once you finally get them? What are you aiming at? What's your target? What pulls you along? What purpose are you anchored to? And what is pulling you in that direction? What are you letting pull you in that direction? Sometimes I think that we're like sailboats and we have a destination that we can set our course to. 
And in some ways, the question is, is the destination pulling us along? Is the destination what's, what's you know, if I set my course to that, there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to happen between, you know, where I am now and getting to where I'm going. And when you, it's like when you set your course to that, the, the path to that destination is a somewhat inevitable path. It's a, it's a track almost that you get locked into. So if it's something ignoble, there are some ignoble things you're going to have to do before you get to that. And sometimes that thing that's ignoble might not even, you might be deceived into thinking that it's noble. You might think, well, I can do this, but I have to do some ignoble things to get to it, and the ends will justify the means. Your cause is still ignoble because you utilized ignoble means to get to it. It doesn't change the, the things you have to do to get there. Um, and so I guess that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think those are kind of all my thoughts. Um, and, and another example I give, and it's not entirely related, but, you know, if you are in a boat and you have two different courses to take, right, and you, you have a vision, I mean, Jordan Peterson talks about imagine three years of your life on the same path you're on and think about what kind of a hell that could be like if you don't change, if, if you're on a bad course. And now think about three years on a better course. Where will you be? And it's like changing your rudder on a boat by a few degrees. If you change the rudder on a boat, I mean, a rudder's relatively small. It's pretty small. It, it only takes a small rudder to change the course of a massive ship. You change that rudder a few degrees to one direction, and you span the course of that boat over thousands and, and thousands and thousands of miles, that boat will end up in an entirely, practically polar opposite destination than if it had gone a couple degrees on the course that it was on. And that goes to demonstrate that small changes over an extended period of time produce drastically different results. Which is very interesting. And so those, that course, that direction can be as simply different as a change in your purest of intents. It could, and that can direct all sorts of decisions that you make in your life. If you decide, no, I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm going to live my life like this. And you think it's something small. It's like a tiny pebble having a ripple effect into your entire life. You make one small change in your core intention and it radiates out into everything else you do. Which is why the Bible emphasizes so clearly that the most dramatic changes in a person's life come 
directly from the heart of a person. That's the core of a person's being. It's the core of their entity. Um, if you change a person's heart, you change their entire being. You change everything about them. Um, and it also says essentially, and I'm paraphrasing this, but out of the mouth flow the desire. Out of the mouth flow the constructs of the heart or something like the idea that what, what comes out of your mouth is what flows from the heart. It flows from your core. So what's important in life is essentially what you've set your heart to. Why you do what you do. Your intentions that are in the deepest core of your being. That is the most important, one of the most important things in, in the way you choose to live your life. Setting your heart on an intention that you feel in the very fiber of your being is correct will transform everything in your life. And for me, that core thing that I try to set myself to, that I try to align myself with, is what I believe to be the highest ideal of, of being, which is trying to align my life with the will of God. I believe God is the highest entity that I can look to for guidance. He's the highest sense of morality, I would say. He's the but see, now I'm preaching, and I don't want you to think I'm just preaching, but when, when you feel like you've, you're setting yourself or aligning yourself with an ideal or um, with an ideal that's higher than yourself, well, you strive to live your life in a way that transcends your mere existence. And you try to align yourself with something that's deeper and truer than anything outside of yourself can um, influence you. Any, anything outside of yourself can... It's deeper than, than what the world has to offer you. Anything outside, you know, it's deeper than anything outside of yourself can offer. And God is simply... You could take it metaphorically is simply the the deepest, the highest form of awareness. Um, he, he's, it's an all-powerful, all-surpassing ideal of reality, of the way things are supposed to be. Um, purity um, and so so when you when you when I say God you know, of course I mean it literally but you if you can if if you can take put aside that literal sense and look at it from a metaphorical sense God presents himself as as a sense in a sense the ideal the highest ideal that any one of us can morally strive to live by and when, at least when I think of that, 
then I can't think of any reason why not to seek that with everything I've got. Because I sure as hell know that nothing in life has proved to be something satisfying or truly worth like aligning my core with. Many things fall short. Almost everything falls short when I put the weight of that emptiness that I have inside of me on it. When I look at something, I'm like, yeah, I want that. I want to feel filled by that. I get a cool video game. I play it for 200, 300 hours. I had a pretty good time, and I'm really familiar with it, and I got some things out of that. Maybe it made me think about things in a different way. But it leaves me hungry and empty. Like, well, you know, I'm bored with that. Need something else. And I keep moving, and I keep looking for something else. When the thing that will truly satisfy me is is not something temporal, not something that's going to turn to dust, not something that's going to decay or die. It's something eternal. I'm looking for something eternal. Aren't we all looking for something eternal? We're looking for something that we have a void inside of us and we look to fill it. And maybe we look to be influential to fill that. Like we, we think we've got things together. So let's tell someone else. And if we can change their mind, maybe it can show us we're right. I certainly know that when it comes to my faith. Like I struggle to believe what I believe as a Christian. I, I struggle to believe that. So I think I get in my mind sometimes, instead of just living it out and trying to live it the best I can, and being an influence the way that God wants me to be an influence. Um, I try to influence other people to believe it, to validate what I believe, and maybe show myself it's true. And maybe that's sometimes why we want to be an influence. But anyways, it sounds like my babies have woken up from nap, so <laughs> this has been episode three of the Spare Minute, and it looks like I've got to cut it short. So uh, if you've listened to this podcast and you have enjoyed it, and you'd like to comment or uh, send me any messages or anything, you can reach me at thespareminute at gmail.com. And I really appreciate you listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, and maybe tell a friend if you think they'd be interested in this. So this episode's going on uh, 35 minutes. Uh, and I just want to say again, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you guys in episode four. Episodes drop. I try to have them. I schedule them to drop Monday, every Monday at 5 a.m. So Um, Look out for that. And uh, I will catch you guys later. And thank you for taking a spare minute to listen to this.